Hey, Dear Culture fam, before we get all the way into the show, we just want to give you a heads up that we'll be discussing issues dealing with mental health and death on today's episode. We want to do all that we can to support our listeners. So if you or someone you know could use some help, we encourage you to contact a certified mental health professional. We'll, of course, share some additional resources at the end of the show. Now let's get started. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Jerry Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor of Politics and Washington Correspondent at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, how do we stay safe during the holidays? Yes, that is right. The holidays are here. And while we may be looking forward to much needed time off, you know, relaxing with family and friends, the truth is this time of year can sometimes be a little rough. From seasonal affective disorder to the stress of planning, shopping and dealing with that one family member that can work a nerve, the holidays can definitely take a toll. But this year, you've got us on your side and we've called in some experts to help us keep the holidays from being a holly jolly hot mess. In just a little bit, we'll talk with author and clinical psychologist, Dr. Nyasha Shikaware, and assistant professor of clinical mental health counseling at Malloy College, Dr. Tice Nadrich, who are mental health professionals. Let's get to it. So Shauna, I usually have conflicting feelings around the holidays. Most people are joyful. They see the lights. I have to admit, I love seeing the lights. It makes me feel like excited about, you know, the new year coming. Uh, You know, I don't really get excited about Christmas gifts and stuff like that, but I do enjoy the holidays generally. But because of, you know, the work that we do I'm always thinking about all the work I have to get done before I go be with family for the holidays. And it just feels like a rush and not just rushing through work, but also getting gifts. And it starts to feel a bit cumbersome. It can also feel a bit performative. Um, and so I want to ask you first, like how, what, what do the holidays normally look like for you? And how do you manage the stress of the holiday sprint? Oh, goodness. Well, well, first off, them lights, I, I, I actually get stressed out watching people, uh, you know, with all them lights, because now here I am <laughs> trying to resist the African-American urge to be like, I know your light bill high. But <laughs> <laughs> I saw that mean, by the way. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's I, and I've talked about this, too, you know, as soon as it starts hitting like wintertime just in general, uh, you know, it's getting dark at four o'clock here in New York City. Get me out of here. Um, you know, but it's it it it's dark. It's it's cold. It's kind of just all around ridiculous. Um, but then you add the holidays onto it. And I think I know for me, especially this year, it is incredibly stressful because I got this cross country move that's happening like literally a week before Christmas. And then, so I'm moving into my apartment and then hopefully if I can afford it, uh, you know, being able to fly back to New York to spend Christmas with my parents and then flying back to Atlanta. And it's just, it, it's so, it's so much. That's, that's literally all I can say. It is, I don't think I've been this stressed during the holiday season in years. Um, Mm. Typically, it's been more so like an emotional, um, stressful thing. Uh, It's I, I typically I usually look forward to being able to hang out with family and friends. One thing I do know, and I mean, gee, you and I, we've been at the grill for years. So, I mean, that week 
leading up to Christmas is always the most hectic time possible. Um, everybody, <laughs> everybody yes. is asking for all of your help on things. You got to answer all these questions. All of a sudden, it just feels like, good Lord, like what, <laughs> what are all of these things that I need to do? Um, as a matter of fact, I just tweeted the other day, like, what is the professional way to respond to all of my bosses and all of my coworkers? That that includes you, G. Um, I got nothing left to give you. <laughs> it is it is December. I got nothing. I got nothing. Please holler at me in the new year. And honestly, it might not be until like January 10th. Like I, I'm checked out. <laughs> but what about you? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely I definitely can relate. And you know, for me, I used to like really, and I think I still do really lean into being a worker bee because it distracts me from sometimes the sadness that does come around the holidays. I know for some people, the holidays can be a sad time. It can be depressing. You know, I lost my father. I know uh, close friends who've lost family members this year, and they may be thinking about their loved ones a lot this year. And sometimes thinking about uh, being with family and being around the holidays reminds you of that loss. And, you know, my dad's been gone now for 10 years. And so I've, I've grown to accept my, the loss of my father. And I know that he's still, he's still here with me. And so I don't miss him in the same way that I used to. And it doesn't bring the same sadness, but I know for many people that, that wound is really fresh. And which is why I'm really glad that we have today's guest, uh, to talk about the holiday season and how we can cope and how we can create safe spaces. Dr. Nayasha Shikarore provides individual, family, and group therapy for individuals five and up. She utilizes cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal psychotherapy, and multicultural counseling practices to support her clients. As a clinical psychologist or PsyD, she is passionate about work with the LGBTQ community and communities of color. She is also the author of the children's book, Giraffe Asks for Help, which promotes help seeking in children, and was inspired by her work as a therapist in Baltimore City Schools. Dr. Nayasha, welcome to Dear Culture. It's a pleasure to have you. And our other guest, Dr. Tice Nadrich, is an assistant professor of clinical mental health counseling at Malloy College. He earned his PhD in counseling from Montclair State University and also holds a master's in education in clinical mental health counseling and BA in psychology. Dr. Tice is passionate toward providing clinical services for clients of color living with mental health struggles, and he also offers educational content and consultation services focused on multicultural and social justice practices and conducts research on the mental health needs of people of color. Dr. Tice, it is so good to have you here. Thank you all for having me. Yes, thank you both for being here. Yes. So, Dr. Tice, I'd love to start with you on this. Um you know, there's a 2020 Forbes article that says Black Americans are more prone to holiday stress. And the National Alliance on Mental Health says one in five adults experience depression each year, and Black people are 20% more likely to experience ser serious mental health issues. I mean, given all the things of Blackness and all that entails, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, what are some of the factors that may make Black and other communities of color more prone to holiday stress? Yeah, <clears throat> I appreciate that. I, when I think of what you're sharing, I, I, I can't help but not frame it through an intersectional lens. Um, and that intersectional lens specifically refers to 
uh, Black folks, our, our positionality um, within the system that we exist in, um, the system that is often oppressive, discriminatory, um, and those intersectional experiences that are often missed within society. So when I think of Black folks, specifically in the holidays, there's all that stuff that preceded the holidays. There's all the 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 workplace discrimination the on the street discrimination um but then there's also this internal experience of navigating one's own identity and trying to figure out who i am within this system that is sometimes harming me sometimes attacking me often most importantly not validating me so we bring that with us into the holidays and we're trying to reconcile that simultaneously with our roots, our culture, our folks, our people. And sometimes there's conflict. You know, um, it, I feel like I'm in a good enough space to say this. Like, I, I can't help but even think, I'm going to equate it to myself for a moment, is, you know, this idea that um, when you enter certain spaces outside of your outside of your community, outside of where you grew up, you know, and then you come back, there's this aspect of sometimes you're being brand new, right? Like, you're bringing this new attitude, you're bringing this newness there. and it might not be something that's tangible or visible to you. It might just be the identities that you hold. You know, me, me uh, the two guests here today have letters after our names and that connotes something, even if we're not necessarily bringing those letters with us. So we're trying to reconcile the version of ourselves that we are out in the world, which relates to work, relates to relationships, relates to society, and then we're trying to reconcile the version of ourselves that we are at home. And to some degree, all people do this, but at times there's incongruence between those versions of ourselves that we are across these spaces. And that's an added level of stress, of you know, mental difficulty, things that extra, you know, I often do the things that we have to think about that other folks don't have to think about. That's that, there's an added level of that when we're coming back to our communities where there's these historical value systems that are, that, that are often cherished by us, but are sometimes incongruent with the spaces that we have to exist within outside of those homes. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop there because I'll be talking. <laughs> wow, wow. I can I think you're absolutely I think you hit the nail you hit the nail so well because I've experienced that not only as an educated black man working in, in Washington DC and my family, most of my family's in the South, but also being a queer person and like developing my identity here and then sometimes feeling like I have to kind of peel it back a bit when I'm home. Um, and I've made a lot of progress in that area, but I know a lot of people can relate to that, especially for those of us who fall in that intersection of being both black and queer um, or other, whatever other that might be. Um, but Dr. Nayasha, I want to uh, kind of drill down on uh, a bit of what Dr. Tice was talking about, which is uh, relationships with our family and our loved ones. And while the holidays can be a joyful time, it can be a challenging time, especially when it comes to creating boundaries with our family members and loved ones. Um, sometimes I find it hard or difficult to uh, change relationships that have been around for a long time. We've known our families, our families, our whole lives. And sometimes coming seemingly after the fact to be like, no, I have boundaries. You can't say that around me or you can't do that around me. How do we navigate creating, um, new boundaries with already established relationships with our loved ones? Right. Yeah, that's really difficult. And that's something that I work a lot, especially now with a lot of my clients. It's, 
how do I go home and say, hey, this is no longer okay? Uh, the, the names you call me, the nicknames or the topics that you bring up at the table, I'm not interested. Um, and one thing that I've been talking about is prepping people. Uh, it's usually easier to plan ahead and say, hey, let's have this conversation before I come home. Or, you know, there's something I want you to know about my life here, let's say in D.C., uh, before I come back to South Carolina or Alabama or New York, because I want you to know how I feel, how this has made me feel in the past, and also what will be easier or what will make me feel better when we have these conversations. Um, I think it's also useful to give our family examples of things that they can say rather than letting people know what you can't say to me because, you know, some of our members, our family members can be defiant. People do enjoy conflict at times, and it's better to give people choice in here's how we can navigate this issue rather than don't do this, I don't like it, because that creates defensiveness. Mm, that's good advice. That's a, that's, that is very good advice. In other words, <laughs> tell your grandma, stop uh, <laughs> talking about your weight. <laughs> it is the holidays. Mind your business. <laughs> I mean, yeah, weight is a big thing. Um, mm -hmm. Even, you know, when we talk about, like, me as a single black woman, where where your man mm -hmm. at? It is just like, well, you mm -hmm. know, let's, <laughs> let's save time for my dating life outside of the dinner table outside of, you know, the congregation of the whole family, because I don't want to be in the spotlight, but I'm going to tell you everything about my dating life <laughs> on the side and you can still get to know some things about me. But, but really it's, it's letting your family members know, like, I understand you're worried about me. I understand that you care in your own special way. <laughs> I understand, you know, you want to show that understanding so that you're not villainizing your family member because it can come off that way when we are setting boundaries where people are like, wait a minute, this is new. What did I do wrong? What's going on? So you want to kind of ease into it. I want to, I want to highlight something that she said though, because I think this is so, so, so important that I think oftentimes we miss is we're sometimes so focused on telling people what not to do that we don't tell them what to do. And we leave a void. If we say, don't say this, Folks might be left with, well, what am I supposed to say? So I, I'm just highlighting what she said because I think of how important it is. Is just we got to give folks something to do instead, not just leave a void um, because that's that's problematic. Because now folks feel lost. Um, you know, we, even if we think about child development and how we teach children stuff, we say don't do this, and the kid is thinking, well. What am I supposed to be doing instead? So we often, when we talk about um, parenting and child development, we often say, don't tell kids not to do this. We say, do this instead. Use your hands this way, things like that. So I, I just want to give credit where credit is due because I think that's such good advice and it's something that I think we get lost in sometimes. So, uh, you know, as we're talking about the holidays and, you know, there's a, a term called holiday blues, uh, which <laughs> funny enough, I think, it's so crazy. I think our our listeners in particular are so familiar with the whole idea of seasonal affective disorder. Um, I know I personally get that, like seasonal depression. Once it starts getting dark at four o'clock and it's cold, and I'm I'm irritated with everyone. Um, uh, but actually, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, approximately forty percent of adults are riddled with social anxiety around the holidays. Um, Dr. Tice, what are some common triggers for holiday blues and depression and how might we be able to deal with them? 
Yeah, I, th I think of this two ways. I, and I think it depends on, you know, the person and even, you know, if we're talking about helping professionals like like, like myself and like, like the folks you have here today, there's different ways of conceptualizing this. What I like to think of it is in two different ways. We can think about historically and ongoing what the holidays might mean for us. This is that baggage that we carry with us. And then we can think about in terms of present, how our identity is shaped within the holidays. So I, I think I'll try to give examples of both of these things. Um, you know, the former, I, I have a, um, a person that I care about deeply who experienced trauma right around the holiday time, just before November, notable, significant trauma. So each year, that baggage kind of just gets a little bit heavier for them every year around that time. Look, when we have trauma, we live with that trauma. It, it, it's, it's part of who we are, and we're kind of renegotiating what it means to have that trauma with us. But at times, this, if that trauma happened at a certain time of the year, once those sights, those smells, those feelings start to come back in the air, you know, we all kind of know what the holidays look like. Our neighborhoods are dressed up certain ways. People are decorating their houses certain ways. Certain smells start hitting the air when certain folks start cooking things and, and you know, there's seasonal menus and stuff. We, we have to remember that our senses are deeply tied within our mind and our memories and our experiences. And just the smell of something, the sight of something, and I want to emphasize the smell of things. Smell tends to be really connected to our memories. Um, that can bring us back to places, even a little bit, that can be quite unpleasant. And if those are tied with times of the years that have so much tradition attached to them, and those traditions vary, obviously, by where you are, um, you might encounter those things every year over and over again. So I think that's one way of thinking about it is what are we bringing with us from the past years of understanding the holidays? And that might add additional stress. Um, the other question is, is, what's our identity in the holidays? We, well, we, we often don't think about how our identities shift throughout the holidays. When we're younger, holidays are carefree and you're receiving, receiving, receiving. And you know we're on a panel right now with all grown folk. And I think what we tend to learn when we're grown is the holidays tend to be really stressful because we're trying to give, give, give. And that's an added burden, depend and especially when we think about what your status is within your family, within your relationships. You know, um, we, we mentioned earlier, we're so I, so I remember we mentioned that being an educated black man, that might mean something in your family about what you can provide to them, what you should be giving back to them. So, so-and-so is educated, has a good job, might have money, so they should be given presents to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And now these expectations of what it means to be us at the holidays are now adding additional stressors that are real and difficult to navigate because we're trying to honor our family and those that we love while also honor our own boundaries and our own mental health and our own wallets to some reason as well, because it's expensive. Um, so, and then again, I wanna don't lose that intersectional piece because, and that's all coupled with the things that black folk are going through all day, every day. That stuff doesn't go away. That stuff is still there. All of that's there. So it's not like, you know, the holidays come and, you know, racism is gone. It's not gone, it's still, it's still there. And then we have, this navigating identities navigating history trying to figure out who we are when it means to be in this place in our life at this time of the season yeah thank you for sharing that dr tice and dr nayasha uh, kind of sticking to this topic of like uh, dealing with our mental health and things we might be going through at home 
how do we share what we're going through with our loved ones? How do we communicate what we need from them and how they can support us? Um, well, it's definitely best to talk to people you feel will understand you and get you so that you don't further, you know, either traumatize yourself or further feel that stress. Um, so find your favorite family member, cousin, aunt, uncle, or parent and let them know. Again, I like the, the side conversation because, you know, when you talk in front of so many people, people get bits and pieces or they they have their own perspective on what's going on that may not be true to what you're saying. So, you know, find that person, find a good place to talk about what you're dealing with and also let them know, like we were talking about earlier, how they can support you. Um, things that they can do, things that they can say, that'll be helpful. So, I mean, it depends on the topic, of course, because there's a myriad of topics that we may be sensitive about. But even if you have a cooking duty and you're like, hey, I don't feel up to cooking. Can you help me? Or can we figure out who else can do this? Because we know with, you know, black families, if you cook something and it doesn't taste good, people are going to remember it. <laughs> every holiday. Don't talk about you. Like, remember last year. Right. So, you know, whatever you need support in, don't, don't be afraid to say, hey, like, I'm not in a good place right now. Because I, I often dis the, um, describe depression and mental illness like having a cold you're not going to feel the yeah. same up to the same activities you don't have the same energy or the same wherewithal to do the things that you used to do so you want to be like hey you know i can't do this right now but if you can support me or this is going to be hard for me this year because of x y and z which a lot of us are dealing with either our favorite family member not being able to come because you know covid um, or even some of our, our family members not being here anymore because we've lost a lot of people in the past year or two. So just, you know, being vulnerable and letting people what's really going on with you and like what we've been talking about, giving people that language, that those ideas of how to support. And I think, too, you could also reach out to friends who are in different states or with their families do a FaceTime or, you know, what I like to do with my friends is schedule a time to check in, um, the group chat, you know, just to check in on, and see how everyone's doing. And that can also go a long way too. Now, see, I can't help with the cooking. What I do is I cook, I help with the washing of the dishes because you don't want me, you don't want me in the kitchen. Uh, well, but you know on your talents. Note, <laughs> all right. I know my talents, but on the serious note, Listen, you got You have to stay in your lane. I know cooking is not my forte, um, but I also know that I'm a good listener. And just I've learned that in my family, I play the role of like letting everyone kind of vent and express themselves and let the, and I just listen really well and, and communicate back to them what they're experiencing and then just like kind of love on them. You know, I might not understand what they're going through, um, but the best thing we can do also is just listen to each other and just love on each other, even if we don't see eye to eye. So I, I have a question for both of you, actually, but I want to kind of touch on something that Dr. Nyasha said, um, because what I recognize is I am I am the person who is finds it very difficult to ask for help. Uh, I, I my misery does not love company. So if I am feeling, you know, a type of way, I'm like. Let me just stay over here in my corner. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. I don't want to, you know, then have to go through the whole emotional rigmarole of let me explain what's going on. And then I burst into tears and I feel weak and I, you know, all of these things. So, um, uh, 
well, okay. Well, I guess I got two questions for both of y'all. So um, for this one, it would be, what do you say or how do you encourage those people like myself who are like, I find it difficult to be that vulnerable to reach out to people and say, yo, like this, there's something, there's some real stuff going on with me emotionally. Um, If I could start, Dr. Tice, um, I like to tell my clients, you are not a burden because I know for many of us who don't, who aren't comfortable asking for help or don't ask for help a lot, we feel like, oh, what I'm dealing with is a lot and I don't want to, you know, burden someone or put that on somebody. Um, And I think there's a popular meme that's going around where you just ask someone, do you have the capacity to listen to what I have going on right now? Um, Or letting people know in a vulnerable way, like, I'm really struggling with something. I'm also struggling with being able to talk about it. (laughs) And are you okay with me talking to you about it? I may ugly cry. I may have a moment. Is this a good time for me to do that with you? So some, somewhat asking for permission and for that space, that way you don't feel like you have been a burden to that person because they're, they're offering consent. They're like, yes, you can do whatever you need to do and I'll be here. So I think that's a good start. Everything that she just said, um, I think an- another way to, an- another, another add-on to that would be is sometimes as we're trying to figure out what it means for us to you know, negotiate our own vulnerability with other people. Because it's one thing to hold it inside of us. So, you know, we we find ways and patterns of doing that. And sometimes they're healthy, sometimes they're not healthy about, you know, reconciling our own feelings and thoughts and emotions. Um, and there's a whole different process about putting that outward. So perhaps sometimes a good way of going about it is, I'm going to lean on what, on what she said a moment ago about asking for permission, is asking for permission to not share what it is that's bugging me but to share what it is that I need in this moment. And I think it's important to contextualize that because I think folks will often, if you just say, hey, here's what I need. And if it's out of the normal, people are going to be like, whoa, 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 what? tell me more. Like, give me the give me the full scoop about what it is that's bugging you. Um, but if we preface it by saying, hey, there's something going on right now. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go there just yet. I think I will in the future. But right now, what I could use from you is this. That allows the person to feel some degree satiated, saying, okay, they've shared with me that they're they're hurting and that they need help. And I'm going to hopefully figure out what that hurt is later, but I heard them, them say, they're acknowledging my own curiosity, they're acknowledging my draw to care for them, and they're saying what they need. So preface it by saying, like, I'm not going to give you the whole scoop right now, but I am going to focus on what I need in this moment right now, and I'm hoping that you can meet that expectation. My, my hunch is, is that more often than not, folks are going to jump at that opportunity, especially because we gave them that thing to bite on, that thing to the thing to chew on to say, I'm going to get this later. They're telling me that there's more to this and I'm not going to get it right now. I'm going to get the rest of that later. But let me focus on what they're saying. I need support. I can't cook today. I can't come out today. Uh, I'm not going to be as responsive on my phone calls or, you know, I just need to be somewhere. Giving them that direct, here's what I need sometimes can really help. And the rest of it will come later as long as you give them something to like hold on to. You're acknowledging that something is wrong. I think that's really important and it might go a long way. Okay, so my second question. And so we gotta we gotta shift a little bit. Um, and this is, uh, well, I guess I am being vulnerable with you all now because this is something that I actually really struggle with. Um, you know, 
an unhealthy relationship with money can also be mentally unhealthy. Um, I know that I'm over here, you know, I'm between the middle of a move. I've, you know, there was COVID stuff and to make myself feel better, I was, I was shopping. I'm over here repairing my credit right now because of this, right? <laughs> Just wilding out. Let's repair uh, <laughs> and right. listen, and a study from American Express found that 86% overspent, 86% of people overspent on holiday shopping in 2020. I know that was for me. Uh, it was, I was, I was one of the 86%, way too much. Um, but so I guess this question again for both of you is how can we manage expectations and set healthy boundaries around holiday shopping and, and spending? Um, I know like the supply chain issue right now is helping a whole lot of us. Like your, your gift is at the store. I ain't yeah, got it. Not but coming this, not coming the, this year. <laughs> it's not coming this year, but yeah. But how can we, you know, manage those expectations and set those healthy boundaries? Well, um, that's a hard one for sure. Uh, well, I, I would like to take an example from office parties and doing, you know, the, the white elephant gift exchange. You know, we put we could put a cap on how much we're spending. Okay, everyone's going to do $15, right? We agree? Great. Um, obviously, that's difficult with family because you have varying ages and people with different needs. But I think that that's a healthy family conversation to have. Like, what are we expecting this year? Because it's been a lot. I mean, every year it's it's tough to, to meet financial expectations, but especially the last year or two with, you know, people are paying rent again, mortgages, and what have gas. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're back on the road. So I think it's okay to, to say in the family group chat, what are we expecting? What are our boundaries? Can we all agree on a number and, you know, the people with kids, what what are we expecting? What do they need the most? Because is it that, you know, the LOL dolls, is it really something your kid needs? Or can we get a few outfits here and there for the next school year? You know what I mean? So I think it is just being open with, can we create a budget for the family? Because some of us maybe are living large and are wealthy, but a lot of us aren't really, <laughs> a lot of us are in, Right, are in a different tax bracket right now. So I think that's the best the best way to deal with that. And also, you know, if there is a budget that is decided upon that you still can't meet, it's okay to say no. It's okay to shower people with love instead of gifts and let them know, you know, I care about you. A gift is coming sooner than later, but maybe not this year. And also being comfortable with being creative. Maybe I'll make you something. I'll get a T-shirt made, get the whole family T-shirts. That's a little bit cheaper than buying people different things so that you're still contributing something. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think everything that, that, that my colleague here shared is, is great. And these are all, again, these are like objective behavioral event interventions that you can say, here's what I'm going to do, here's how I'm going to do it. And that's really tangible and that helps folks a lot. Um, I'm, I'm going to lean in a little bit of a different direction just to hopefully add some flavor to this in that I heard you kind of preface the question with stress. You talked about the stress of moving. You talked about the stress of COVID, the stress of life. And I think the question that I often would ask folks to look inward with is, well, what is this shopping? What is this splurging, it sounds like, 
what purpose does it serve for you? Because it sounds like it's serving a purpose. It's doing something for you. In many ways, it sounds like you're, you're coping with something. It, it, it's, it's, you're indulging on something, and it's giving you a feeling. But my hunch also is that it's a short-lived feeling. Um, in that, it's good. Swipe. The bill comes a month later. Okay. That, that, whatever was there, that, that's, it's not there anymore. I'm, I'm, it's gone. I'm all, now I'm all time. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. That, it, was, it was fun, and then it lasted very... So, I think the, the the point there is is that when we start to explore what's behind our behaviors, what's behind what we're doing and why we're doing it, I think that's a question that's a deeper question. That's and, and I think that follows what what my colleague is sharing about those behavioral interventions. Those behavioral interventions are solid and they help you get a footing, but at times we can slip. So the question is, is how do we take the behavioral piece and now let's integrate some introspection into why we were doing what we what we were doing? Maybe I'm spending this way because I feel compelled to because of the identities that I hold in my family with and among my community. Maybe I feel this way because I genuinely feel good after I swipe the card and, and get a bunch of stuff in the mail. Like that 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 hypes me. Maybe finding the deal excites me, right? Is that good for me? Is that good for me long term? Am I hurting myself in the distance by doing these types of behaviors? You know, short term, that short term gratification leads to long term pain. And if that's the case, we now have to figure out ways to process that, that form of coping, that form of, of, of indulging. And what can we replace those behaviors with to still get that feel good? Because we're looking for that feel good, right? That's that swipe might feel good. That the the packages coming in the mail, they feel good. The faces of our of our loved ones when they receive that thing in the mail, the feel goods. We're going to try to replace that with something else that doesn't hurt us as much. That doesn't hurt our wallet. Doesn't hurt our bank account. Doesn't hurt our credit. Like we we need all that stuff. So how can we start to look at what these what what purpose these behaviors serve for us? And then figure out new behaviors that can that can serve in similar ways, but healthier. I think the easiest, like like the um, the, the the easiest uh, equation I can show is we we see patterns like this when it comes to fitness and health. You know, folks would sometimes overeat or indulge in eating because eating makes us feel good most of the time. Off, oftentimes, after the fact, we don't feel good, um, but. The, the taste, the flavor, the smells, it makes us feel good. And then we see it's not uncommon that folks will then take that same overeating, indulging in food and unhealthy foods, and they'll equate it to fitness now. So you're doing eventually this similar, a, a similar behavior. You're still indulging, you're still diving all into something, but one has more the, this immediate gratification followed by long-term negative effects, while the other has immediate gratification that might be a little bit less intense, but way better long-term effects. So we have to renegotiate our relationship with how we are indulging in ourselves, where we're finding that coping, that satisfaction. Um, and I think it's a two-staged process, and I, I think it goes perfectly aligned with what my colleague is saying. Yeah, you better preach, Dr. Tice. I can <laughs> absolutely relate. I, I've, I've done that introspection. And I've realized that for me, I'm, I've been trying to keep up with the Joneses, especially living here in DC. And I had I just moved here and trying to get acclimated. Like Sean will tell you, I've been out here buying Gucci and, and, <laughs> I, got, and I got that wow. credit card statement. Good and they were know. like, um, <laughs> you, <laughs> my credit card statement said, you tried it. But I want to also, uh, this is the last question for you both. And, and, and this is why we're, I'm happy we have you both here on this episode because 
this demonstrates the importance of having a therapist and having someone with that professional expertise to help guide us through um, these many decision makings that we have to make, especially around the holidays. But unfortunately, we do know that some people don't have access to health insurance and therefore don't have access to a therapist. And, and for those of you who don't have uh, who have not yet tapped into the marketplace, I encourage you to do that and enroll before the end of the year. Um, but my question to you is for those of, uh, those of us who, who don't have access to mental health professionals currently, what advice would you give to them on navigating the holiday blues and what should folks go? Where should they go for additional resources? I mean, that's always the, the topic, especially right now, because therapy is expensive. <laughs> And I, I like to acknowledge that as the person who gets paid a lot of the time, um, I do acknowledge that finding my own therapy has been difficult. And I've looked at the price like, oof, okay. <laughs> but, you know, pay us what we're worth. But it is, it is difficult. Um, but I think one of the things that people can do, which we've been talking about this whole time, is leaning on friends and family, community, which, you know, even though it is hard to ask for help, Sometimes that's the best way to get the support you need and being able to talk to friends and people that you find understand you. Um, another way too, especially during the holidays, is to keep up with those healthy routines. You know, if you work out all the time, keep working out. I know, you know, we want to take breaks and eat, but working out is actually helpful in terms of those chemicals in our brains that make us feel better. Um, so keep that up if you are someone into meditation, which I still struggle with, but meditate, find those quiet moments to relax, you know, keep that heart rate down, keep the stress to a minimum. Um, if isolation helps you bring that peace back to yourself, find moments to do that whenever you can, especially now because things start ramping up right before Christmas. We all get, we feel under pressure whether it's at work to meet deliverables before we go on holiday or gearing up to be with the family, you just want to maintain, you know, that Zen as much as you can. So those are my initial tips. What do you think, Dr. Tice? Oh, I appreciate that introduction. Pass the baton. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. I, I, so I, I'm going to, what I'm going to, I'm going to share two things. The first I'm going to share comes a little bit of a little asterisk next to it is, you know, the, the world that we live in right now has so much good content that is accessible to people um, that wasn't there, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so finding community through online networks, through, you know, and the, the asterisk coming here, you know, good online, we have to vet these things, right? Because there's a lot of toxic online networks, whether it's YouTube or Reddit, there's a lot of toxicity out there. Mm -hmm. But if we can invest in looking into good networks that are healthy, that are supportive, there's so many resources out there that weren't there historically. Um, you know, mentioned me meditation and things like that. Like there's guided meditations that you can en engage with every day for free through YouTube, through podcast apps. Like there's so much there that we have to just choose to embrace, choose to um, act within. And the, the, uh, what my colleague said about routine, it's so important. Um, it takes time to establish that routine. Know that, that that first week 
it's, it might feel like a chore, but you have to keep going because the research has shown that once you get it, once you cross that threshold into it becoming a true routine, it doesn't feel like work anymore. It's just part of what you do. You all have morning routines and evening routines to some degree. It'll vary by person, obviously, but we all have stuff. And if we think about it, we might, might not even be sure where it came from. It just developed on its own. Inserting something new tends to be work. It tends to be a little bit of a labor until it isn't. You know, I, I give this example of healthy eating. When we first change that diet and we go from the, the, the processed grains to the whole grains and you take that first scoop and it's just like, mm, like it just doesn't, something's wrong all of a sudden. It's like, this is terrible. But then once you're in it, months later, you don't even remember what the old one tastes like and you're enjoying it. That's what we mean by a routine is you have to get over that hump of labor. The other thing that I often tell clients um, is I think one of the big, I'm, I'm doing air quotes for a secret, you know, a little semi-secret is when it comes to finding counseling services, one of the places I recommend everyone go is look at, look for a college campus. A lot of campuses have counseling centers for the community. They're housed by and run by trainees, right? These are folks who are doing, you know, their doctoral training in a, in a psychology program, their master's training in a clinical mental health counseling or, or program or something like that. These are folks where you can get $20, $30 sessions, if not even less, sometimes free, where these folks are training. They're, they're supervised. Know this. I don't want folks to get scared because this is a person who's not licensed yet, who hasn't graduated yet. They are supervised constantly. So looking for um, supports like that through campuses might be a really good one. I know not everyone has a campus near them, so I, I, I get that it's, it's a limited resource, but looking at those campuses, you might find a really affordable resource for mental health care. Um, that's very accessible, that's easy on your wallet, and it, it tends to be really good quality. So I, I think it's something that I don't think a lot of folks know about that, that I wish they knew more of, that a lot of college campuses have these outpatient style counseling centers that often do a severe sliding scale of literally sometimes folks can just do it for free there. Thank you, thank you. That's actually very helpful. So I'm glad that you shared that. Um, and thank you both Dr. Tice and Dr. Nayasha. I hope that this conversation was as grounding and informative as it was for me and Shauna. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Nayasha, you can follow her on Instagram at NayashaMC. That's N-Y-A-S-H-A-M-C. And be sure to pick up her book, Giraffe Asks for Help, for the little ones in your life this holiday season. And you can also head over to the clinical mental health department at Malloy College to take one of Dr. Tice's courses or visit Psychology Today to learn more about his practice. For additional mental health resources, you can also visit blacktherapistrock.com. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Semicolon Bookstore and Gallery. Owned and operated by Danielle Mullen, Semicolon is a Chicago-based Black woman-owned bookstore. Mullen says that her business is not only providing books, but a space for Black comfort. She launched the bookstore back in 2019 while she was battling cancer and receiving radiation. And now she is dedicated to fighting low literacy rates in Chicago and has sold nearly 50,000 books online and in store. 
to browse the curated collections and maybe order a book for someone on your holiday gift list, head to semicolonshy.com. That's S-E-M-I-C-O-L-O-N-C-H-I.com. The Grill has published a list of 50 plus black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like your business to be featured, email us at info at That's G-R-I-O dot com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions and compliments. We love those to podcast at thegrill.com. The Dear Culture Podcast is brought to you by The Grio and co-produced by Taji Sr., Sydney Enriquez-Payne, and Abdul Kadus. 